Amen. Good morning, everyone. And thank you to Peter and the team. I know Peter uh, was a little concerned this morning because one of his vocalists at the last minute, unfortunately, could not make it because one of her children is sick. Uh, and so, Peter, thank you for still leading. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, before I dive in this morning, just a couple of things I kind of want to mention and point out, uh, and then we'll continue in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, just quickly by way of announcement, at the end of this month, we, and when I say we, the church office, is hoping to uh, give out your charitable receipts. So if you've made any financial donations to White Rock Baptist Church through the course of this year, uh, then we will put those into the mailboxes in the back at the end of the month. So please make sure you check those mailboxes. Uh, if you've never received a letter from the church, sometimes we mail out, other times we put into the, the mailboxes at the back. So for those that have given any sort of donation, in, uh, you'll be getting your charitable receipt for that. That'll be up there. The one you get at the end of this month is really for us to make sure that we've got the right information. Uh, and we've got all the right details and we've re recorded correctly how much you've given. So please make sure you check that. If there is any problem uh, or any concern, maybe a discrepancy, please don't email me. I have nothing to do with church finances. About the best they let me do is use a church credit card now and again, um, as long as it's signed for, of course. I get to do that. But if there's any discrepancy, any issue, then please liaise with uh, John Block as treasurer or the finance email and we will help sort that out and of course if uh, you've been waiting till the end of the year to make a donation go right ahead you've still got time right up until the 31st of december uh, and obviously then we'll issue receipts for that the second announcement that i just want to point out we've mentioned this in passing over the last couple of weeks uh, white rock baptist church has two positions open right now uh, two positions that we're trying to fill the first one is a rentals uh, contract manager. So as most of you would know, we rent out our facility uh, to various choral groups and choir groups and concert groups, as well as other activities and things like that. Uh, and we normally, we just need somebody to help coordinate those contracts with those people that liaise with the office. Uh, and so, yes, there would be a small kind of remuneration for that you know we don't want you to just kind of give all this time actually it's not all that time but we don't want you to feel like ah you know make it worth my while we do try and do that um so if you are kind of in that position where maybe and i don't want to single anyone out you know we're a, we're an equal opportunity employer of course uh but this probably leans itself towards someone who is on that verge of retirement uh, maybe you've taken retirement, so you have a little bit more free time and flexibility, uh, and then you're going to kind of come help out once or twice a week, once or twice every two weeks. So if that's something that interests you and you're sort of saying, yeah, I could help out with that, uh, please do come and chat to me. I'd love to connect with you. And then, of course, the other one, which is on our website, I need your help. Uh, as you know, after COVID, after the great resign... Uh, I mean, you can walk through any mall, you can walk through anywhere where there are places of employment and everywhere has a sign on the door, help wanted, help needed, positions available. Uh, I drove past a, a store the other day where it, on the sign, it literally said positions available in all departments. You know, that's what's kind of out there. And so we as a church, we have a position available 
and that is for office manager. We're looking for somebody who is gifted, supremely gifted in administration uh, and just helping us coordinate what takes place through the office and within the office. Uh, it's not a full-time position. We're not yet that big. We're praying, you know, we're trusting God, uh, but we are looking for somebody. So you might kind of go, okay, that really doesn't appeal to me, but chances are high you know someone that I don't know. Uh, and so it would be super helpful, particularly if you're on Facebook or anything like that, if you would go ahead and share that job posting from our Facebook page, it would just be super helpful. So thank you. If you want to know some more, come chat to me. I'd love to connect with you about that. But we're not here for a whole bunch of announcements. We are here to study the book of Acts. And today marks the end of our journey through the book of Acts. And I do want to remind you that there are pastors and churches out there that have taken up to four years to journey through the book of Acts. We've done it in eight weeks, okay? which clearly means we've missed out some sections and we've skipped some stuff. Uh, I know for those life groups that did the gospel on the ground, you've had a little bit of kind of dovetailing and some support uh, kind of input that's helped that. But by and large, there are some sections of Acts that we have not covered. And so I would encourage you to keep on reading through Acts, meditate on what takes place through that book. As we finish off today, I'm left with this image of what it means to live in light of the end, even when I don't know what the end will be like. Now, it could be that my, you know, one of my kids is in grade 12, and, and so as we as a family are processing the end of that era, the end of school, uh, and the end of grade 12 and all that it represents, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about my school journey and, and especially my grade 12 year. Uh, in South Africa, in grade 12, most schools have a period known as 40 days. And it's kind of this, this 40 days of chaos and carnage. Uh, where basically all the rules that we have followed for 12 years, we try and push to the extreme limits, uh, and so much so that by the end of the 40 days, the teachers are praising God that we're leaving uh, and praying that we will leave. But you know, the absurdity of this 40 days window is the 40 days, the end of it is our graduation. So we come back to this big old graduation assembly uh, where there's all this pomp and ceremony and all of that, but the, that assembly is not really the end. We still have all of our grade 12 exams straight after that. So all we're marking is it's the end of that journey through school. But it is not really the end. There is still something to come. There is still work that is needed. You, you know, when we get to that graduation, it's not like we go, woohoo, I'm done. In fact, for most, it's, oh no, now the real work actually starts i got some exams that I should probably study for. You know, and so as i kind of been thinking that, this is the image that comes to mind as I read towards the end of Acts. I love the way the book of Acts ends. It's almost like Luke, who has been recording this journey and recording all of, all of these activities, all these amazing things, it's almost like Luke, as he wrote, just got to a point where, where that's it. He put his pen down. And, and it's on, on this cliffhanger. You're like, well, well what's going to happen? And, and I find it fascinating because I think Luke's done that intentionally. 
I think what Luke is saying to his audience is it really doesn't matter how the story ends for the Apostle Paul. That really means nothing. What matters is that we learn from this journey of all of these apostles as the Holy Spirit has been at work and we realize how we live in response to that. How will we live in light of the end? Even when we don't know when the end will come and we don't know what the end will bring, we don't know what will happen because this is how Acts ends. You know, there's been a lot of debate uh, for centuries about how the Apostle Paul ultimately died. Because really, as we get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is waiting in Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. Uh, he's waiting for answers to his appeals and his questions. And, and as he's being challenged and as the Israelites want him executed, as people want him dead because of this gospel that he's been proclaiming, uh, so Paul sort of sits there and, and, and we don't know uh, there's a lot of debate. There are a lot of scholars that have added weight to it. The, the most kind of common view or common belief, uh, and this is held by Eusebius, who was a historian of the time, uh, who speaks into this. Most probably, Paul was ultimately executed. And he was ultimately executed either under Nero, Caesar Nero, uh, or one of his designates. Uh, and the reason for that is under Nero, uh, Rome, uh, sorry, Jerusalem burnt, and there, was, there were riots and there were all sorts of challenges, uh, and Nero blamed the Christians. And of course, it was really convenient for Nero because Paul was in prison as one of the leaders of this Christian group, this way. And so common belief and common view is that he was executed. But we don't really know. And so rather than dwelling on that, rather than trying to figure out how did Paul die, the important question is, how did Paul live? How did Paul live in that final stage, that season of unknown? Because it's in answering that question of how did Paul live that we're able to go, okay, then how should I live? Whether I'm in grade 12 looking at the end of a season, whether I'm in university getting ready to graduate, whether I'm preparing for marriage, and, and that's not to mean that marriage is the end, it's marriage is only the beginning, okay? I was at a marriage conference last weekend, marriage is awesome if done properly, but it's still, it's a season. And maybe for some of us, it's in preparation for retirement. Whatever the case might be, as we live towards that end of a season, how do I live in the middle of that? If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Acts chapter 28, I'm going to read it in, in just a moment. It will be up on the screen behind me, but you're also welcome to read it on your Bible or, or on a phone or something like that. And just before we read it, I want to remind you that as Luke writes both the Gospel of Luke and then follows that up with the book of Acts, there are themes that thread through both of those writings. And particularly a strong theme that comes through is the theme of authority. The theme of power, who's really in charge, who has the authority to speak, who has the authority to command, who has the authority to expect behavior or expect something in response. And of course, within the Gospel of Luke, we see this with the, the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones who believe they have ultimate authority. And so that's why there's this challenge, because Jesus comes along and we read that he, he taught as one with authority. 
And of course, as we know in the Great Commission, where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, all authority is given to me, therefore go. But that theme still runs through the book of Acts. As the apostles go, as the apostles continue that great commission, and as they take that gospel on the ground out to the ends of the earth, there's this challenge of authority and power. Who's really in charge? And of course, in Acts, we see it again with the ecclesiastical side where the church and the, and the nation of Israel, sorry, not the church, but the, the Jews believe they're in control. They're the ones that are all-powerful. And then slowly we get to the end of seeing the Roman rule. Uh, who's really in charge? <coughs> Excuse me. And of course, we know the answer. The answer ultimately fundamentally that Luke portrays and writes throughout the Gospel of Luke and then into the book of Acts is God is in control. God has all authority. And because God has all control, God has all authority, it is God who speaks and it is to God that we listen. In fact, that's what the apostles point, say when they're being challenged and being told to keep quiet and being told not to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to speak about Jesus. And the apostles say, it is wrong for us to obey man. We must obey God instead. And this is this theme that comes out. And with that theme of God in control, and that question that Paul answers of how do I live to the end, the short answer, if you take notes, is simply this. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. How am I supposed to live when I don't know what's coming? How am I supposed to live in the end of my own life? For the end, just be faithful. I remember watching a movie many years ago. I don't advocate the movie per se, uh, but the hero in the, in the movie, he had this expression all throughout the movie. He just kept saying, just keep on keeping on. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that movie wasn't the origin of that keep on keeping on. It was some country western singer and then there were some other people. But that's the theme. That's the answer to be faithful is just keep on keeping on. Live faithfully. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 28. And I'm going to pick up from verse 16. <coughs> Excuse me. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, 
We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against the sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might have seen with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And thank you, Jesus, for letting me read all of that without dying. <coughs> if you're visiting today, I had the flu three weeks ago. I'm fine. I'm pretty sure I could run a marathon if I needed to. But for some reason, I'm still coughing. So in Acts 28, in the beginning portion, uh, Luke points out that they were journeying, Paul and various group of prisoners were journeying through to Rome uh, because Paul had made this appeal to Caesar uh, for, the, for his life, really. Uh, and of course, the weather was against them. So they ended up wintering in Malta, and they were there for three months before then journeying on to Rome. And eventually they get to Rome. Uh, and even though Paul is a prisoner, he, he's kind of under this house arrest thing. I know for many of us, we, we kind of wonder, how can you be a prisoner but yet have all this freedom? Uh, it's, it was a little different in those days, especially for someone who was a Roman citizen. Uh, a Roman citizen was treated a little bit differently, and especially if the Roman citizen hadn't done anything obviously guilty. You know, so, so he's not uh, there defending perhaps a murder or something like that. And, and so because he's kind of in this weird law around Jewish people and they want him dead, uh, Rome sort of says, okay, we'll, we'll assign a guard to you. You'll be under this guard the whole time, but you, you have some freedom. You can live in your house. Uh, you can do what needs to be done, and people can tend to you. So they can bring you food. They can look after you, and, and they can visit you. Uh, and so this is what <coughs> Paul is doing. Uh, and, and as he gets there, he spreads word and he, he asks the leaders, the Jewish leaders, to come and visit him. And I love the fact that in verse 22, uh, as he's explaining, so he also proclaims the gospel. I, I, this is what I love about Paul. It's almost like any opportunity he gets to speak, the gospel is going to be front and center. That's, that's, that was his calling. That was why he was there. And so he speaks to them, and he, he explains to, to the Jewish leaders what's going on. And of course, when we, when we think of all of the trials that Paul faced, 
You know, in the book of Acts, we read of being shipwrecked, of, of being stoned, of, of starving, of going hungry and, and thirsty and journeying in the wilderness and, and all of these kind of things, being imprisoned, being beaten, all these challenges that Paul faces, yet he still faithfully kept on keeping on. He just remained faithful to the end. He's still focusing on his calling regardless of what comes on, regardless of obstacles, regardless of barriers, regardless of hindrances, Paul simply and faithfully fulfills his calling. In fact, Acts 28, really, it summarizes, in a sense, Paul's life. All through Paul's life, after meeting Jesus, after that conversion experience, after being called by God and then sent out into ministry, his life just became that faithful journey of studying the word, of proclaiming the gospel, of speaking to people. In fact, like the Energizer Bunny, Paul just keeps on keeping on. And I would suggest this is the challenge for us. If the question is, how should we live in light of the end? Well, then let's live like Paul. And as I read through Acts 28, I see four quick thoughts that come out for me. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I've got four points for you as we look at how to live, how to remain faithful in doing. And the first thing we see from Paul is keep on speaking about Jesus. Keep on speaking about Jesus. That's what Paul does. Uh, that's what we read in verse 23 and onwards when, when they arrange to come together and they all gather uh, together as the Israelites and as the, the leaders of the congregation, Paul simply tells them, and we read there, in fact, it says he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses from, and from the prophets, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus. He simply kept on speaking about Jesus. You know, time doesn't permit me to read all of Paul's letters, a number of them that were written during that journey of Acts in his different missionary journeys, but I would challenge you. Start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. In virtually all of Paul's letters, in those opening verses, look at how often Paul references Jesus Christ. Look at how often Paul speaks about the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10, Paul talks about Jesus 10 times. 10 times in 10 verses. Paul spoke about Jesus Christ. That was the call that was on his life. The church of Corinth had all sorts of challenges, all sorts of problems. And yes, the letter to the Corinthians deals with many of those. But foundationally and fundamentally, Paul says, Jesus. Jesus really is the answer. And that's why I'm going to speak about Jesus every single time. And so that's why we joke about in Sunday school. You know, the answer is always Jesus. Doesn't matter if the question's what's brown, fuzzy with a big bushy tail. Okay, maybe not that one. Paul speaks about Jesus. His focus was on Jesus. And because his focus was on Jesus, he was never embarrassed. He was never scared. He was never shy to talk about Jesus Christ. As you live your life, with that view of the end in mind, particularly when we don't know what's going to come, we don't know when the end will take place, I think Paul would say to you, as he says to me, speak about Jesus. 
But not only does Paul talk about Jesus, the second thing we see from Acts 28 is Paul kept studying the Scriptures. So yes, Paul spoke about Jesus, but Paul also studied the Scriptures. In fact, verse 23b tells us he witnessed to them from morning to evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So the implication there is as Paul is teaching, as Paul is explaining, it's because Paul is studying. Paul spends time in the Word of God. This is what Luke writes for us in Luke chapter 24. This is what Jesus does for the disciples. As those disciples are walking along the road with Jesus and they don't yet know it's Jesus uh, and they're downcast because Jesus was crucified and now the ladies have come to witness that Christ has been resurrected and these disciples are, are sad, they're downcast, they don't really know who to believe, what's going on and Jesus pulls up next to them as they're walking down the road and, and they can't tell that it's him, he's kind of blinded their eyes to that fact and I love it because Jesus comes over to them and says like, you know, why are you guys so downcast? Here we read, they, they ask Jesus, are you the only person who wasn't in Jerusalem this weekend? And of course, duh, you were in Jerusalem. We're all walking away from that. And we read in Luke 24, beginning with, sorry, Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later on in, in Luke 24, when Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples, we read in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, prophets and the Psalms. God wants us to study the word because the word talks about Jesus. The word points us to Christ. If we want to know who Jesus is, if we want to know what Jesus was like, and if we want to know what Jesus expects from us, study the Word. It's that simple. We can read Old Testament prophets, and we see the image of Christ. There were hundreds of prophecies fulfilled by Christ. Not only were there prophecies, but there were those images in the Old Testament, the, the type. So theologians will often read through the, the Bible or read through the Old Testament, and they'll see these images of Christ within the Old Testament, and they will speak of a type, a type of Christ. If I stick with, with just Genesis, with these pre-incarnate experiences or appearances of Christ, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, after Adam and Eve have sinned in the Garden of Eden, an animal is killed, and its skin, or its blood was shed, its skin was covered, provided to cover for their nakedness. It's a picture of the Messiah, the Lamb of God who would later come to cover our spiritual nakedness. In Genesis chapter 7, we have a picture of Christ in the ark. Within Noah's ark, there's only one way of salvation, the ark. Noah and his family were safe in the ark. There's that type. Our salvation is only in Jesus Christ. In Genesis 22, we have a picture of Abraham and Isaac, where God commands Abraham to do what we think is just absolutely unthinkable, to sacrifice his own son. And as Abraham responds, we see this miraculous provision that he does not have to sacrifice Isaac. A lamb is provided. 
And instead, that lamb is sacrificed. Again, it's the type of Christ, the lamb who died to take away our sins. And of course, that Passover lamb where the blood is put on the doorframe. And those who have the blood of the lamb over their home, the angel of death passes over and they are spared. And this is why we speak of the blood of the Lamb that takes away the sin of the worlds. It's that type. And that's just the first book of the Bible. Someone compiled a list and and looked at all the Old Testament books and how they point to Christ. I, I, I won't do them all, but this person said, In Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, Jesus is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the bronze serpent that heals all who look upon it. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet prophesied who would be greater than Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the deliverer. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In Ezra, he's the lord of our fathers. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. Intercening. Interceding, sorry, for God's people. In Psalms, he is the Lord, our shepherd. In the song of Solomon, he is our lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the burning, fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband to the sinning wife. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, yes, even in a little book like Obadiah, Jesus is there. In Obadiah, he is the one who is mighty to save. I could go through all the books of the Old Testament and point out how Jesus is there. We see him. Why do we study the scripture? Jesus answered this. In John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40, Jesus says to his critics, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them... You have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Why do we study the word of God? Not simply so that we know what this book says. Not simply so that we can figure out what rules to try put on somebody else who's sinning differently to us and we don't like the way they're sinning. No, we read and we study this book so that we can find Jesus Christ and find life in Jesus Christ. Keep talking about Jesus. Keep studying the word. Thirdly, what do we do? I love this image. Thirdly, we keep believing that some will believe. Let me say that again. We keep believing that some will believe. This is what we read about in in Acts 28. In fact, in verse 24, it says, Some were convinced. By what he said, but others would not believe. My brothers and sisters, Luke reminds us that as we proclaim the gospel, in fact, we see this all throughout Acts, as we proclaim the gospel, there will always be those who reject that message. That's a given. But even though there are those who will reject the gospel, reject that message of salvation, there are those who will receive. There are those who will believe. (coughs) I love this quote by John Phillips. John Phillips in his old commentary says, Thus the gospel always divides. 
Whenever it is preached, the Holy Spirit drives his plowshare through the audience. Some believe, some do not. And henceforth, or sorry, between the two, henceforth is a great divide. Now, I don't understand why. I, I, I don't. I, I can debate. I can think about it. I can say what I think the scriptures point towards that. But the reality is this. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, whenever the gospel is preached, when you speak about Jesus, there will always be those who some will receive with joy and others will reject outright. It's not up to you to decide. It's not up to you to try and convert, if I could use that word. All that is up to you is to speak about Jesus as you study his word, believing that as you do that, some will receive with joy and thanksgiving, even though others will not. Keep talking about Jesus. Keep studying the word. Keep believing that some will turn to Christ. And finally, fourthly, keep serving the Lord. Keep serving the Lord. Wherever God puts you, whatever season you find yourself in, whatever station of life you are in, serve God there. That's how Acts 28 finishes. In verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know, and as you've been journeying through Acts, as we're reading all these incredible stories, there's a little part of me that I wonder if Luke kind of got to his word limit, you know, with the publisher. They said to him, it's got to be 15,000 words, that's it. And he was like, oh, how do I summarize all of this? Well, you know what? For the next two years, he just lived in his house and told people about Jesus. And there we go. He was faithful in serving God. That's what's called of us. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what that looks like. For some of us, faithfully serving God is simply encouraging someone else by making a meal, uh, you know, by, by sending a letter of encouragement. For others, faithfully serving somebody else is a financial sacrifice. It's giving to something where there's a need. There are many ways that we serve. And, and your journey and my journey are always going to look different. What God expects of you is going to be different of what God expects of me, but no less he expects that both you and I will faithfully serve the Lord and to keep on keeping on, regardless of the result. Because the results aren't up to us. The results are up to God. And so as I share of Jesus Christ, as I study his word, believing that some will receive that, so I simply serve. I can serve God as I worship God, as I tell others about him, as I love him. I serve others by loving them in turn, by sacrificing, by giving, by doing what's needed and necessary. Serve God, serve others, and in so doing, let us see the kingdom of God advance. You know, as I close off this morning, just kind of thinking to myself, this whirlwind journey through the book of Acts. There's a little part of me that actually wants to come back to the book of Acts and preach it for four years. Uh, I hope you're all still alive for that because I think that's going to be a real fun journey. But we've gone through it. 
A pretty good summary of the book that I read this past week was simply this. The book of Acts tells us the Savior went up. The Spirit came down. The church went out and the lost came in. The book of Acts tells the story of the gospel on the ground. That journey is not complete. As the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the very ends of the earth, it is not yet finished. And you and I are a part of that journey of the gospel on the ground. And we are simply called to be faithful as we continue. And I know that one day, oh, what a glorious, glorious day. We will gather in the throne room of God before the throne of Christ in worship and in majesty. And we're going to see all sorts of people, all sorts of tribes and cultures and colors and whatnot. And we're going to see the impact of perhaps our faithful little part and what that faithful little part meant to others. Oh, what a glorious day indeed. Let us simply be found faithful. Keeping on, keeping on. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for recording this work of your Holy Spirit through the apostles, these acts, as the early church discovered the gospel, as they testified, as they witnessed to the goodness of God. And as that gospel went out and as the church expanded, as the, the kingdom of heaven was made known, and those who were far off, those who were, were alienated, separated in sin, I thank you that by grace and salvation they were brought into the family of God. And Lord, as I look around this congregation, I'm reminded that we too are invited in and we're drawn into this family of God. <laughs> but we're not saved just so that we're saved. No, we are brought into the family so that we would continue this work that you've given. And so, God, I pray that every person would be found faithful. May we speak of Jesus. May we study a word. May we believe that as we speak, others in turn will believe. And then may we serve to the very end. And may your kingdom come. And may your kingdom be established here. For those, God, who do not yet know you, who perhaps are in that divide that was spoken of. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you draw them by faith to you that they would find grace. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.